Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. And joining us is a, uh, geez, he's an author, a publisher, he's, uh, he's the leader of the United States of America, Ron Chepsek. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine, Al. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. So you, you are, I hear you're running for uh, president this year. Uh, I've been thinking about it, throw my hat in. Uh, probably, probably, uh, I would probably disappear in, in the plethora uh, of candidates that are out there. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, including the janitor, on, on, <laughs> janitor in my building here is uh, running for uh, president. Well, anybody's qualified, really. It makes it that yeah. way. Well, know? with the third current uh, occupant, that's very true. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm sort, I'm sort of glad actually there hasn't been a whole lot of celebrity uh, trying to uh, to jump in there. Not yet, anyway. Like, uh, I, no, you know, no. I don't want to see Oprah or any of those people jump in there. You know, but Oprah's been kind of quiet. You know, usually they always bring her name up. Somebody brings her name up. You know, as a candidate. And then you know she'll she'll hang around for a while, and then she'll she'll shoot it down, you know, saying, "Oh, I'm not a candidate." But you're right. Well, I've heard uh, you know Alex Baldwin's thinking about running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, running running as as a Trump ca- uh, character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good, actually. I'd like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, SNL is pretty is pretty good. Yeah, I don't know why they get so upset about that. I think it's quite quite funny. Um, I I really like uh, how he does that. You know. Yeah, he, he does it. He does it very good. But you know, Trump has no sense of humor, so no. Uh, you can understand why his reaction to it. In fact, he wants to close it down. He wants yeah. to use the law to, to yeah. close down comedy and satire. Yeah, only if it's against him. 
Yeah, exactly. Only if it's against him. You know, and it's funny. Uh, you you've been writing um, now books on uh, really uh, gangsters or, or mob and crime <clears throat> and drugs and all that area, and and I I've always thought of uh, Trump in that same category. Well, you know, there's a lot, there's been a lot of written about um, not a lot, but there's has been stuff written about his connection to the mob to the mob. Uh, you know, and uh, loans and all that back in New York City. So it's kind of kind of interesting uh, in terms of uh, in terms of history. And uh, what's more what's more fascinating than a gangster, right? Yeah. Like Al Capone or Luciano or Pablo Escobar, you know, or even Al Chapo. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Who just got sentenced last uh, in February? Uh, you know. Or not sentenced. He was convicted, and his, he's got, June twenty fifth. He's going to be uh, sentenced, probably send the rest of his life in an American jail. But uh, what's more fascinating than these guys, you know, and uh, how they um, become big time um, gangsters? I think I think it's just fascinating, and why they do it because they never get away with it. You know, you could count the, the number of gangsters that got away with it on one hand, you know, at that level. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but they do it, and. Um, I guess so, it's worth uh, yeah, the ride, so, uh, you know. Yeah, and so uh, I've, I've been I've been interested in you know in gangsters uh, all my life. I never started writing about them until I was in my uh, late thirties, uh, and the way I got started about with, with I eventually I went to Colombia on a press junket. Uh, they invited some journalists, and they were trying to uh, improve the image of the country because they, they still thought they could have a tourist trade at that time, and that's when the war with Escobar. And the state was going on. So, anyways, I came, I went down there, and um, didn't know anything about uh, the country. Uh, I traveled all over the country. And on the last day, I uh, met a, a a woman, and uh, uh, we had a blind date, and that turned into a marriage. <laughs> oh, <laughs> about, about two years later, and uh, I, I was a Canadian. You know, I was Canadian, and I never thought I'd ever get my American citizenship, but I went ahead and got it. And because uh, it would it would have took up forever to get her into the country, and so she came into the I got her into the country, and then she became American citizen later. And now, of course, I got dual citizenship uh, with with Canada and the U.S. But uh, I kept going back and back, and uh, you know the the war on drugs, uh, as far as it related to uh, Latin America, Colombia, get, get getting hotter and hotter. And uh, I was getting assignments like crazy, you know, from from um, magazines and newspapers and. I was developing a, a network of contacts there that set me up with sources. I ended up interviewing three presidents of Colombia and uh, and uh, one vice president who was kidnapped by uh, by Escobar. In fact, uh, the president too, Pastrana, was kidnapped too by uh, by the Medellin cartel. And uh, it was just crazy. I mean, uh, the, the country was just it was it was it was, it was like Iraq. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember sitting in a in a. Uh, in the house, my uh, uh, brother-in-law, and uh, hearing a bomb go off, you know, down about half a mile, maybe three-fourths of a mile down the street. And uh, it was, you know, it was very dangerous. You could get kidnapped for $25. Uh, and, uh, and that happened that some people in the neighborhood, you know, of my wife's family and all that. And uh, so I, from there, you know, I was doing all this writing. I was, I was saying, well, Escobar goes down in in uh, 93, you know, he gets killed on a rooftop, and nothing had ever been done about the Cali cartel, who were the real powers in Colombia for a long time. I mean, 
not many people knew about them because they were very low key. So from there, I decided to do a, a book, you know, which took me about four or five years because I was a professor at a uh, university, and so, you know, I, I had a full-time job, so I had to, and I couldn't get off uh, like I can now being a full-time writer. So I had to, to uh, spread it out and finally did the book, and then that set me off uh, in the area of uh, writing books about crime. When, and, uh, when, when you're doing something like that, like the um, book on Kelly, and it takes you years um, you have to get out there in the field and you have to get out there and, and be around all of these people that are doing these things. Uh, um, now, do you find yourself scared at times or do you worry about that kind of lifestyle? People always ask that question, and uh, uh, I always say, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to take any chances, you know. And I have been in situations where I, I just backed out because I thought it was uh, it was too dangerous. And, you know, I've covered... Northern Ireland, before I, 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 I discovered Columbia, I, I was reporting on Northern Ireland, and I interviewed uh, IRA, um, uh, ultra-volunteer uh, 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 individuals that have the Protestant side in uh, Northern Ireland. So I had a lot of experience in dealing with, uh, with situations like that. But uh, I have, you know, I have family there, and I have friends there, and uh, they had my best interest, so uh, they, they would advise me, you know, about uh, interviews. And... Um, I interviewed, you know, a lot of people, like the DEA, for example. Uh, I never met a lot of the people. The phone is a great way to do it. Now you have Skype, right? Yeah. You can do it on Skype. You have text. Uh, you can text people. You can do interviews, complete interviews uh, via text on that. So um, uh, I, I was never in a situation where I was scared. Uh, I was a little nervous, but that way, which is a little <laughs> different than scared. Uh, but, uh, you know... Uh, I never had a, a situation where somebody pulled a gun on me like they've done on some journalists uh, on that. So uh, maybe I was lucky. Yeah, I would I would think because you know there's uh, people are doing bad things. Uh, how how do you how do you when you okay so when you're first going to get together and do something like this and you decide you're going to write on a gangland, how do you how do you approach it then? Well. Um, the way I, I normally do is, and the other great tool, of course, is the Internet, right? You've got the Internet. Um, if I'm going to do a subject, like say, for example, I'm going to do a, a biography of a, of a gangster and I don't know too much about, um, I'll get on the Internet and, uh, and do a you know, so-called Google search, right? Uh, and uh, try to find out as much background as I can. And uh, I'll go to, I, I'm, a, I'm a former, I'm a, trained librarian, I have a master's degree in librarianship, and a master's in archival administration. So if there's one thing I know something about, it's uh, research, right? Yeah. And so uh, I'll end up going to, uh, to the library, and I'll check some of the databases on the uh, magazines um, and newspapers, and uh, just collect everything I can on that. And then, um, you know, check um, uh, for books, you know, get, check, see what books are out there on the subject. Hopefully not much has been written. Book-wise, that means that you, your field is open and uh, makes a better possibility of, um, of selling a book. And then I'll, I'll, I'll read everything, you know, and then make notes. I'll, I'll look uh, names of people, who should I, who should I interview, uh, possible uh, subject, you know, break down the chapters on that, um, and maybe places I have to go. And then uh, after I do that, I develop a strategy uh, on how I'm going to tackle you know, tackle the project, and uh, it may involve some travel, so I'll have to try to arrange that. 
and uh, and then um, at some point I'll, I'll decide that uh, I have enough material or I can't find any more material. Something like that happens too. You know, you exhaust what's what's available out there, and uh, then I'll sit down and uh, and write. And uh, I actually like the writing part of the process better than the, the research, which is kind of weird because I am trained as a researcher. But I enjoy uh, I enjoy the the writing part of it a lot, and um, and uh, you know putting all that information together and into something that uh, people can enjoy and uh, get something out of. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, you know, with with a lot of these um, uh, programs that that talk about these type of gangland and drug cartels and all those stuff, uh, the shows and the movies and stuff, do you find that most of it's pretty accurate when they portray the lifestyle? Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of those. I've been on practically every every cable channel, you know, doing something on in there. Uh, in fact, I think I'm, I'm on a program every week, I'm on some program, <laughs> because they keep running them. And uh, it's really weird. I'll get a Facebook message, hey, I saw you on TV. And I said, what? And I, I think about it, oh, yeah, that's probably one of those old programs. I asked them what it is. And it's been like uh, eight years. Um, I've had mixed success with, um, you know, with these programs because they call me on, you know, to be an expert talking head, right? I'm supposed to know something about the subject. And uh, when I first got started doing this, uh, Frank Lucas, you remember Frank Lucas, the movie American Gangster? Right. Uh, yeah, right. And so he came out, everybody thought he was, God's gift to gangland, you know, he, his story was just amazing and true and all that sort of stuff. But I had researched it, and most of it was uh, BS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they invited me on, and uh, I was sort of contrary. You know, everybody else was coming up, and they didn't know what they were talking about because they hadn't researched them. And they were saying all these uh, these myths and, you know, uh, absurd stories about, about what he had done and who he was and all that. And uh, essentially, they sort of censored me. Uh, you know, they took, they took what, you know, I said, I say something like, oh, yeah, Frank Lucas was a genuine, you know, big-time gangster, but they would put the first part, but they wouldn't do the second part, the butt part. And then I would explain, you know, why, you know, he wasn't as, as big as, as he says he was on that sort of stuff. So, um, and a lot of these, a lot of these shows, you know, uh, they're not really, uh, um, knowledgeable about crime, you know, the people that do the interviewing and all that. Right. And uh, they know just enough to do the show, and so uh, a lot of times uh, you'll see a lot of inaccuracies in the in the in the show, and uh, they don't really have you know the time or the money to you know to to correct the uh, uh, the errors that they make. So it's a mixed bag. Yeah, you know, there are, there are some good shows, but um, uh, a lot of them you know uh, you have to take them with grain of salt in terms right. of accuracy. Uh, so so now I guess. Um, is this true? You've got um, an interview coming up with uh, Chapo Lawyer? Yeah, uh, with, uh, on my Crime Beat uh, show, uh, a friend um, suggested that I interview him. He, he's a fellow lawyer, and um, uh, I thought, well, I wouldn't get him. He wouldn't want to talk. And he didn't want to talk I approached him at first because you know, the trial was going on, and that's natural. Lawyers don't talk while the trial's going on. But he said, um, catch me after the trial. I, you know, I'd love to come on your show. I said, great. And so I, I, I checked him out and uh, waited, you know, and the, the trial ended, and um, El Chapo lost, you know, they lost the case, and then I contacted him again, and, uh, 
and uh, he said, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about, you know, El Chapo, the man, who he is, and, uh, and uh, a little bit about what happened in the trial, and then they're going to appeal. There was a, a Vice uh, article that came out uh, right uh, after the trial, which talked, to, which uh, revealed that uh, a lot of the jurors were, were, were accessing the media while the trial was going on, which is a no-no, right? You know, yeah. you're supposed to you know, buck that out, and and they had their own opinions, you know, about uh, El Chapo being guilty and all that. And you know, he, he's a big-time gangster and all that, but you know, everybody gets a, free, a fair trial, right? In in America, in America, that's the principle. So uh, he thinks that he has um, uh, a good chance of uh, getting. Uh, I don't think the you know the verdict on all maybe another trial with with El Chapo. We'll see what happens on that. And of course, he was he was big time. Uh, he was essentially worth about uh, they estimated about fourteen billion dollars when uh, when he was arrested. And uh, he, you know, he's a, a product of what happened in the drug war. What I what I was researching because uh, the success of what happened in Colombia with the takedown of the Medellin cartel on Pablo Escobar and the Cali cartel with the Rodriguez Arguella brothers who headed them. Uh, led to Mexico becoming the power in the drug trade, you know, and that's why we have all these big-time Mexican drug traffickers, you know, from the mid-90s on that uh, that have flooded the U.S. with uh, with drugs, and that's a, that's an example too of the absurdity on the war on drugs, because uh, I think it's much worse now, right, having having the center of the drug trade right on your border than it was in Latin America in Colombia. Right, right. And uh, are they as well controlled too now, Mexican uh, drug lords? Well, as- yeah, yeah, they're they're everywhere. I mean, uh, I saw one report where there were uh, they estimated that the Mexican cartels, uh, and there's so many of them, you know, because the drug trade is so lucrative. Uh, they're in over 200 cities. They're they're entrenched in 200 cities, you know, and it's not just uh, cocaine now, you know, opioids. Methamphetamine, you know, the methamphetamine uh, trade was largely uh, epidemic, which uh, you know started in the 90s, and has, has hit the United States big. It's largely uh, a Mexican uh, gangster uh, phenomenon. You know, they're they're largely responsible for that. So the whole situation has gotten worse. And of course, in Mexico, the corruption, you know, is is just as bad as it was uh, in Colombia. Um, in the trial of El Chapo. There was a report, somebody accused the uh, former president of um, Mexico, Nieto, of taking a $100 million bribe for, for, uh, for letting uh, El Chapo go on that $100 million bribe. They said. Of course, he denied it, and uh, I don't know if there's any further investigation on it. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. But it just goes to show you the power of the cartels, continuing power of the cartels, because that's the way it was in Colombia. Yeah. But, now, Colombia had had a big a gang war between Escobar and, and yeah. the police, right? And yeah. that, that left thousands dead. Um, are, do, you, do you think that that's going to happen again? Well, it's been happening. I mean, there's always conflict going on, you know, but... Uh, uh, conflict going on between between uh, cartels, you know, fighting each other for territory. Um, in the uh, in the Colombia uh, aspect of this this whole thing, it's really interesting because eventually, at the end of this war, uh, I call it I call it the biggest gang war in history. It pitted uh, the Medellin cartel against the Cali cartel in a war of survival. Everybody was against Escobar. Because he had ticked everybody off, you know, the way he had uh, dealt with people, killing his rivals, uh, except, you know, backstabbing them and all that. And so it, it became a war, you know, where the state and, and the gangsters essentially were, were allies in, in the war against Escobar, and they finally took him out. And, uh, and he, you know, he was alone at the end with one, one bodyguard and uh, was killed on a rooftop. But it was essentially... You know, the, the Delta Force of the U.S., you had the Colombian National Police, and you had uh, the Cali Cartel with its intelligence, you know, going against... That shows you how powerful he was, and they all went against Escobar. And um, eventually, uh, you know, he was taken down. But it didn't mean anything, because all it meant was that the Cali Cartel were now the, the kingpins of the of the drug trade, and they had, 
they, they had been the, the kingpins, uh, you know, long before Escobar left the scene. You know, uh, there was estimates that by the early 90s they had 90% of the cocaine trade. And, but they were very, they were very shrewd about how they went about um, uh, operating. You know, they, they kept a low profile. They, they tried to portray themselves as, as gentlemen, you know, um, Los Caballeros uh, de Cali. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they preferred the, have you heard this expression, the, the bribe over the bullet. You know, they preferred to bribe somebody, but they were just as vicious as they had to be. And, uh, you know, they, they corrupted the country. They almost won an election. Uh, it could have been the first narco-democracy in, in history. Uh, in the mid-'90s, uh, they put $66 million into uh, Ernesto Semper, who's a presidential candidate, uh, into his campaign. And if it wasn't for a, uh, the revelation of a cassette that was given to uh, Pastrana, who, who was uh, uh, you know, running against him, um, uh, maybe uh, the Cali cartel could have had a foothold in the Colombian government on that, but that turned you know the tide against the, the beginning of the tide against uh, the Cali cartel, and uh, eventually they were taken down. So, so where does Colombia sit as far as uh, um, this type of uh, drug activity now um, that Mexico is so big? Uh, well, do- um, could you believe this? Everybody heard of the Medellin cartel, right? Yeah. And it's based in Medellin. Medellin is the number one uh, retirement destination for Americans, according to the AARP. (laughs) You believe that? Yeah. Yeah, they're the number one destination. So a lot of Americans are retiring in the former stronghold of um, of Pablo Escobar, where the Medellin cartel. And uh, Colombia has changed. Uh, immensely. I mean, it's unbelievable how it's changed. When I when I was going there um, for a long period of time, I couldn't go more than ten miles outside of Bogota, which is the capital where my family lived, because um, the guerrillas were operating, and uh, my family was scared of, uh, was afraid that uh, I would be kidnapped, you know. And so I never went there. Now you could travel anywhere. You know, you could pretty well travel anywhere in Colombia, and uh, the kidnapping is down. And uh, essentially, you know, the, uh, the Colombian uh, traffickers that followed the, the Medellin and the Cali cartel said, look, this is crazy, you know, uh, it makes you too uh, exposed. And so what they did was they turned the, essentially the trade over to, to the, um, the Mexicans, and they just supply the, you know, the, uh, the cocaine and the Mexicans distribute it. And so the Mexicans are the ones now, of course, they make more money, too. You know, on that, but it's it's more low key. You know, the drug trade in Colombia is more low key, although there always you know always be a problem. You know, with with drugs because it's you know so prevalent. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know, I guess the the war on drugs that Reagan started, or even before him. Well, actually, it was Nixon really. Nixon. Yeah, early in the mid seventies. You know, and it's always been tied to politics. Uh, Nixon declared. War because you know he needed uh, you know a, a political issue and the same thing with Reagan, he you know, he was not doing too well in the midterms in '82 and so he, he came up with this and uh, essentially militarized you know the uh, the war on drugs. I hate that expression war on drugs. We're dealing with a social problem, drug abuse, right? It's not yeah. a war, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's it's a crazy term. And also use the term war on drugs. It means that you know somebody's got to lose, somebody's got to win. 
And, you know, the drug issue is, is not like that. It's more nuanced, you know, than that in terms of dealing with it. So uh, on that. But, yeah, and so uh, it's essentially been the strategy, uh, you know, since since the uh, mid-'70s. And if you look at the way money's spent, you know, more than two-thirds of the money is, is spent on trying to combat supply and only one-third on treatment. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I think it's been a wrong wrong-headed approach. It hasn't, hasn't done anything except uh, lead to a loss of, of, of life and spending millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars, wasting billions of dollars, you know, beating your head against the wall, uh, trying to come up with uh, an answer that uh, really can't, uh, can't be, uh, you know, given, I mean, in that way. So, uh, yeah, it's, but fortunately, you know, it's, it's changing now. Marijuana is legal in Canada, right? Yes, all the way. And here in the, in the U.S., and uh, medical marijuana is getting the respect that it, it deserves because we all know that it, it does have medicinal properties. And so that's a, that's the beginning. You know, it's, 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 uh, you still have uh, Neanderthal forces at work, you know, that are trying to turn, turn, it, turn the clock back. But uh, to what? You know, the situation that we have, which, which doesn't... Uh, which hasn't really solved anything and, and hasn't led to any change, you know, in, uh, in uh, uh, so-called war on drugs. Yeah. And, and what, so where do you see it all going now? Uh, do you think Mexico's going to be kind of the center of it all, or is it is yeah. that going to fall apart, yeah. or what? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, <laughs> the, big, the big drug cartels now are, are the pharmaceutical companies, right? <laughs> you know, they're the ones that are responsible for the opioid crisis, you know, as, as we've seen. So, you know, it's, the problem is even worse now because you've got, you've got these legal drugs, you know, that are, that are being abused. And you have, you know, big pharmaceutical manufacturers that are helping, you know, to create the problem in order to make big money. So, you know, it's never going to go away. You know, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be, you know, drugs of some kind, right? You just look at the history of the... Uh, the war on drugs, the way drugs, you know, shifted from one drug to another, uh, co- uh, cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, ecstasy, uh, you know, even in the 60s, LSD was there for a while, so, um, and it's just part of man's makeup, right? They want to hide. Reality is too too tough for, for a lot of people, and they want to deal with it in a variety of ways, whether it's alcohol or drugs or religion or whatever, you know, they'll, they'll come up with something to help make... Um, reality a little more palpable yeah an escape you know yeah yeah it's an escape yeah that, that. but you know uh, I've always my philosophy has been or my view has been uh, you know harm reduction you know because I was in the Netherlands and I, I studied there I interviewed a whole bunch of people back in the 90s and their their whole approach is harm reduction you know we're we're a puritanical society given our history and we want to stamp out sin right and yeah. uh, but they're a little different. They want to control it, and so they look at uh, the drug problem: is that we can never get rid of it. It's like prostitution. You know, you can't get rid of prostitution. So what they do, they put you know the prostitutes in the area, the red light district, and control it. You know, give them give them tests, cut down the um, 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 venereal disease and that sort of stuff. And uh, that's what they've done with, uh, with with drugs. You know, reduce the harm, reduce the harm, and um, and what I see, 
uh, and what I've read and uh, what I hear, it, uh, it's worked. Yeah, it seems to be. It seems to be a better yeah. pr approach, you know. Even Portugal's done that with uh, yeah, legalizing. Well, yeah, heroin with, uh, you know, giving out uh, needles, for example, right? Yeah. On that, and, and, uh, and Canada is becoming a leader, right? You're, you're yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah, we do that all the time. Um, yeah, and uh, they're also they also have the beer beer places that they you can go in as an alcoholic and they treat you they give you liquor and uh, it's all timed and watched and uh, and yeah uh, there's all sorts that, that's of harm, that, that's what I call harm reduction yeah right, right. yeah trying to reduce the harm to the person and to society on that sort of thing yeah and it's kind of kind of ironic because you know I I'm a product of the '60s so you know I, I had my share of drugs and all that. But I don't even, you know, even think about marijuana anymore and all that sort of stuff. So I have no personal interest, you know, in it myself, you know, because I don't, I don't uh, use drugs. But I, I really think that uh, you know, this whole movement now towards legalization is really good, and it's really a, a beneficial change that that uh, is going to lead us in a better direction as a society. Well, it's, you know, hopefully it all goes in the right direction. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, how long? You have, what? What further are you going to do on on this type of research? Are you going to keep on going through the Mexican cartels, or okay. and do, pursue that, or are you um, going a different direction? Well, I go about 120 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, well, actually, uh, I'm still interested in the subject. Uh, I've got a really good possibility of doing a book with an English. Um, Drug lord, I can't talk about it because he's still in prison. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to get out of prison. But I'm I'm more interested in screenplays now, you know. So I've been um, writing, you know, screenplays uh, on uh, on crime, and uh, so I, that I'm, I'm moving in a new direction. I guess the the way to put it in terms of my my writing. But I'm still interested in crime. You know, I'm still interested in in the whole sub subject of of crime, and uh, I'll be writing about it. But I'll be doing like screenplays. And eventually, I hope to uh, write a novel. You know, I've got some ideas, but there's only you know, so many hours in a day, right? And right. you got to make a living. Yeah. Get something uh, that uh, that makes money. You know, puts puts food on the table. So, um, <laughs> but I, I'm going to going to write uh, maybe one book, more, more book. I think if this if this works out with the uh, the English um, drug lord, and if that works out, then. I think I'll, I'll do that, but I, I definitely uh, want to see my my name on the screen, big screen, because it's always been a you know a, a dream of mine, you know, ever since I saw Roy Rogers as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Gene Autry and all that. When I was growing up, and, uh, and I always thought it was be great to see your name on a on a big screen. That's you know, that's what I'm going to do. Well, keep on working, and it might happen. Uh, yeah, you I, know. I should. You're going to be on my show, right? Um, yeah, someone's someone's forcing me to be. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah I'm I'm booked on in uh, yeah. April eighteenth. Yeah, uh, and we have we have a little chat. You're a, you're a resident resident expert on Canada, so I come <laughs> you off and you give the Canadian perspective of what's happening in America oh. for about five minutes, and we appreciate that. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a, it's an endless thing going on. So yeah. On yeah. That thing. yeah, but but uh, but anyways, um, I appreciate being on. Yeah, and what's what's now? Give people your um, 
contact information or website and all okay. that so they can find it. The website www.ronchepsik.com. That's uh, that's my uh, my website. Uh, that's probably the best place uh, to go uh, to gather information. I'm on Facebook too. If you're on Facebook, uh, you know, friend me. I'm a very friendly guy. And I'll, I'll friend you back, and uh, we can go from there. You're like Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I except less touchy touchy. Oh, come yeah. on. Oh, I, I should mention too that the crime show artistfirst.com is the is the crime show where where Alan will be on, and uh, this week uh, we got uh, uh, Chapel's lawyer, so that, that should be interesting. Really interesting stuff you do, yeah, that's yeah. fascinating, yeah. and uh, we'll have, of course, that, and we have uh, your books and site put on our site as well, so people can just uh, click on it. And you got a great show, and I enjoyed being on. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Ron. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, then, and uh, good luck with your writing, too. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.